You are listening to The Wheel Nerds with Chuck and Todd. Hi, and welcome to Wheel Nerds. This is episode 98. I'm Chuck. I'm not Chuck. <laughs> God damn it. <laughs> Let's try that again. I'm Todd. And I'm Chuck. And we're going to talk about motorcycles and stuff. Wow. Old school. <laughs> rocking, rocking the old school. Episode hey, one. How's your Buell? <laughs> you know, it's running great. I, I only had to push it once this week. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Now ask me how my wife is. <laughs> <laughs> you don't know. <laughs> Oh, can't just tell you that divorce is like, even with I mean even with having won the motorcycles in the divorce. Well, my my divorce, all things being equal, you know, one that involves children and, and mm. property and you know money and stuff, it's actually been really smooth and non-contentious. And you know, we we we're not fighting. We don't have lawyers involved. We're not using the kid as as a weapon. Mm-hmm. That's good. But man, it's that's a that's a. Long, drawn out. Well, think of what it is. This is really like a giant business deal of like severing two previously joined up businesses. Yeah. 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 yeah it's, it's Chuck uh, Co. Yeah. Now it's. <laughs> Fine. Chuck Co. products are now separating <laughs> from Chuck Wife products. Chuck Wife Limited. Notice the lack of the word fine there, folks. I said nothing of the sort. You said that. <laughs> How are you, Todd? I am doing good. I still don't know what the goddamn noise my girl is making is, apart from the noises like this. Mine needs a new battery. Yeah, I heard that can happen. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I've got a battery sitting. You know, I probably shouldn't store it in the cold next to the euro. You know, if I could, if I could throw this out, you don't even have anything to whine about with the battery because your goddamn seat plate will unscrew. I've heard that. Yeah. Yeah, so you getting the battery out is not like playing Tetris. So I just take the seat off and then the And seat, then you unscrew the, the four plate. screws and the plate comes up. Yeah, yeah. Yes, yes, it's not welded incredibly strongly everywhere. Do you hear the Tetris music while you're trying to do beep, yours? Beep, beep, beep. You know, oddly, it's do, a Russian do, do, game. Do, 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 do. Yeah, I know exactly. <laughs> dun, 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 Turn left, left. Dun, God damn it, it's caught! Oh, gaps! <laughs> <laughs> well, first you first you have to take out the air cleaner, which coincidentally is that weird shape that's kind of like the little S shape. Okay. Uh, and then and then you then you can get out the battery, which is the square, which is really just useless. Anyway. Okay. Hey, I want to read something we got. Okay. Uh, you know we get our reviews on iTunes. Mm-hmm. Thank mm-hmm. you, everyone that reviews. Um, I want to read this one because it's this is the best review ever. Okay. Go. This comes from David. Wicked good and lots of fun while somehow managing to buy informative about motorcycles, urals, and gear. Chuck and Todd's friendship and humor are great. Clearly, he hasn't been listening. It's clear that Todd is the smarter one. He's been listening. And that Chuck's mind rarely wanders far from girls, beer, motorcycles, girls, 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 beer, girls, girls, and some more of the same. You know, I like all those things, too. I I like them a lot. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Chuck does give great interviews with various industry people. The guests who join in always make good listening. If you have just discovered the Wheel Nerd, start at the beginning and enjoy. Love the podcast. Thank you for bringing such a good fargle to us. If you start from the beginning, we apologize for the audio quality. I I, I want to apologize for like maybe the first five to ten episodes. <laughs> yeah, I think we're fine in the first five to ten episodes. The second one where we're pissed drunk the entire time was not so good. <laughs> 
that was a pretty yeah we were drunk before we walked in the room and we kept drinking <laughs> that was a good night it wasn't the most coherent show <laughs> uh, I don't know if I think about girls that much you're doing it right now aren't you uh no I'm totally not there, there's there's porn on the other screen that's across not, the room that's not porn uh huh they're wearing clothes not in your mind they aren't get out <laughs> Jack needs some alone time <laughs> Now, I got a better picture for you to have some alone time with here. Oh? Oh, yes. Listeners have sent us classified. Oh, it's classified. We will start with Bobber Chopper Dr. Bike. $30. M Boy. I, that's good. How nice for you. Uh, it is a fun protege. It's an amazing dill and a sweet looking ride and would love to finish it but need the dollar sign. Willing to tack prate trade call Moroni. <laughs> it won't last long. Yes, it is a custom one of a coined rat bike, aka Frankenstein. It's wrong. It's missed with. 1990 YZ80, 1963 Tot Got, and Honda 200cc Honda Motor Kicker. It run, it well runs good. It doesn't have a motor. It well, it well runs good. The motor must be somewhere else. You know, Jay wrote, running good. wrote me an email to complain about the use of the word engine and motor. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I saw that. Yeah. He's a bit of a geek. You know what? Fuck you, Jay. <laughs> Okay, moving on. Moving on. It's a fun protege. What the fuck is it's this? It's an amazing dill. You know, I like dill. What? What but is I, that? I, I don't know if I've ever had dill that I think was amazing. What is that frame? Uh, maybe that's uh, the... Uh, I don't know. That's... Is that real? It appears to be a shopping cart frame. Or... 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 or like a scooter-ish thing? No, no, the frame, the frame definitely looks like it's from something that is not, in fact, a motorcycle. Yeah. What is that? That's, um, he wants $300 for this. Well, it's a sweet looking ride and amazing deal. <laughs> but it doesn't ride. It won't last long. Yes, it's a custom. It has no m- motor. It's a custom? The it, hell you say. It, it has no, there, there is no locomotion. It's missed with. 1990 YZ80. That base is so wide, how could you... You couldn't even put your legs down to scoot along and make broom-broom noises. <laughs> hmm. it, are, those, are those handlebars from, like, a dirt bike? I Like a BMX pedal bike? I don't know where to start. This I, is... This is this is not a bike. Not only is it completely incoherent, it's really not even a bike. This is not a bike. This is an unbike. Mm-hmm. This this bike has been. Oh well, what they did though is they ground up a 1990 YZ80 and misted the bike with it. <laughs> now it has motorcycle all over it. Someone will pay three hundred dollars for this. This bike is singing in the choir eternal. Mm-hmm. Well, call Moroni. <laughs> He's downtown here in Salt Lake, up on top of the you know thing. Portland. This guy had to have been drunk when he posted this. Well, I refuse let's, to let's, believe. Let's, let's examine a few things about this. He has a barn with no real walls to it in the picture where it's sitting. Yeah. And he built this bike. Yes, he's been drinking. This, you know what this is? It's a, it's a murder barn. Mm-hmm. This is the welded together remains of bikes from people he have killed. Because oh. look, there's another bike in the background. That's true, yes. This yes. Is, this Which is, also appears to be missing an engine. If you go and answer this ad, I guarantee you will disappear. Stabbing. Yeah. 
Yeah. Stabity stab. You're going to end up in someone's barbecue. Mm-hmm. Beef jerky, side of the road. Mm-hmm. Why are you salivating? No reason. Oh, God. I wonder if he sells the jerky. You know, like one of those jerky stands on the side of the road? I, I've got to go. Next. Next, next. Oh, oh what? Do what? Wait. <laughs> it's an 05 Buell Blast. <laughs> My bike is painted black and has Vance and Hines pipes that sound awesome. I bought it as a winter project bike, but don't ever have time for it anymore. It's the 500cc single-cylinder engine. has around 11,000 miles. It needs a battery, a rear tire, some work on the ignition. So it's not perfect, but it's totally functional and fast for a 500. Salvage title. The, the, headline, the headline on it may look a bit odd, but it, it works. So um, this is a – you are going to need to go look at the picture. And for that, I am sorry. It appears to have a muffler that it doesn't belong to welded onto it. The – Air box, and I say this with quotes around it, appears to be a hunk of metal tube with a filthy vacuum cleaner attachment on the end of it. You know what that looks like? Uh, I know exactly what that looks like. What? It looks like a penis. No. It's a penis air cleaner. It, it sort of looks like a cold air intake off of a car. Uh, you know, actually that would fit because if we take a look at the headlight that looks weird but will fit, this is a headlight which looks like it's probably too <laughs> So he has the cold air intake from a car, and he has what appears to be the headlight uh, from one side of the car hanging off the front of the bike. Okay. You know what? Back up. This is laughable. Mm-hmm. But I kind of like the idea of where this is going. Uh-huh. Putting a headlight in a front fender. Yeah. That looks badass. No. Yeah, it looks cool. No, no, no. It's look, future Look at it from the side. <laughs> future This is going to show up in some awful Hollywood movie scene, isn't it? <laughs> It's gonna be the bike when they. It's gonna be the bike where they get on it and like they start it up and the noise is like. <laughs> there's, there's probably a special effect guy calling him right now. Yeah. <laughs> I was in the bike with the baby. <laughs> How did you make that? Well, what I did was I had a, I had an old car and <laughs> my my friend likes to murder people. <laughs> so I did a bunch of parts. <laughs> Wow. This is, this is, this, do you think this guy, do you think this guy knows the, uh, the, the, the hot water heater sidecar guy? <laughs> I think they're friends. They write in. And if they're there. not, they should, they should be like pen pals or something. They, they should be kissing. Mm-hmm. Cause, wow. Cause, yep. <laughs> that is the thing. You, you owe it to yourself to see the picture of the head. You know what my favorite part about the headlight is the more I look at it? Mm-hmm. This headlight looks like it's like a headlight from an old grandma car. Uh-huh. <laughs> Wow, that's just, uh... Ralphie! <laughs> Where's Grandma's headlight? It may look a bit odd, but it works. I... <laughs> hmm. Uh... <laughs> wow. What's amazing is he only wants $600 more than the dude selling the weird frame with a couple wheels. Yeah, yeah, that, that's true. And this one might run. I bet it runs. There's a decent chance it runs. I mean, well, once you get a battery, a rear tire, and some work on the ignition done. Yeah, look at that rear... Whoa. Whoa, that rear okay. tire looks like he rode it while flat. It's torn to shreds. <laughs> it needs a new rear tire. <laughs> and probably a rim. <laughs> oh. We need to move on. This is making my head hurt. <laughs> I, can't, I can't take it anymore. <laughs> These are good ads. Oh, man. <laughs> Well, 
I'd like to say things got weird, but they've been there. 2003 Volkswagen trike. I can't breathe. For $9,999, we'll deliver. What the hell? 2003 Volkswagen trike, all handmade from VW running gear. Been rode by me, the builder, for 10 years. It has a 1600cc dual port engine, four-speed transaxle with reverse. Springer front end with 21-inch spoke front wheel, custom middle flake paint rides. Very good. See over a bunch of things at sketchy sales site. We offer financing and world... Mm. You ever, see that, you ever see that movie from the 80s, Megaforce, with the flying motorcycle? Yeah, this is totally one of the props from that, isn't it? Totally. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> now, wait a second. 1600cc dual port engine, four-speed transaxle with reverse. It really is made from all VW this running is, gear. This is, uh... Yeah. No, you know what that means? <laughs> oh, dear me. Wow. That's, that's a Vanagon engine back there. <laughs> wow. <laughs> well, I suppose if you took all the weight off, it might get out of its own way. It looks quasi-futuristic. I don't know if he took all the weight off of it. <laughs> uh, no, never mind. You're right. It has a flame job and a strange seat behind it. So the driver's seat is is just a seat, like from a motorcycle, and then there's Oh, you're right. That's, that's a passenger seat. That's like a passenger seat, which looks like the most uncomfortable passenger seat ever. What the hell? I, I Words fail me, dude. Is that re- Wow. That is the thing. Now, if you're looking for a Megaforce-looking trike, it is sounds the, like this might be okay. Is that a transmission shifter sticking up right where his crotch would go? Um, Yes, that is what that is. <laughs> yes. You are correct, sir. That is indeed what that is. Not only is it a Volkswagen trike, it's a Volkswagen crotch shifting trike. <laughs> Well, you know, you go out on the market and you look at these, like the new Harley trike that they're selling for old people. Yeah. Hi, listeners. Trikes for old people. Um, <laughs> I mean, you go and you look at this Harley trike and you're like, I'm where's upset. the crush? I'm going to ride an angry. I, I forgot what I was doing. <laughs> you go to, you, you want to go ride the Harley trike. And what does it have? Well, you know, it's got nice amenities and a stereo and things. Does it have a crotch shifter? No. No mm. crotch shifter. What mm-hmm. a piece of crap. Mm-hmm. This, on the other hand, has a crotch shifter. I think it's an automatic crotch shifter. I imagine. Usually you have to buy those for a lot from specialty shops. How big do you think that gas tank is? Oh, about so wide. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just thinking it's like a couple gallons. Yeah, yeah. You, you know, you can only ride so far with a crotch shifter. <laughs> Does the back of that car say Porsche? Um, It might. Yes. And I'm sorry, the back of this trike. The back of this trike. The back of this thing. Says Porsche. It says to me, it says alien spaceship. <laughs> what it says. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. No, it, it appears to have a part of a Porsche. <laughs> He's ridden this for 10 years. He's, geez. It, it's well, a, it's a labor of love, clearly. It, you know, it, it, for what it is, I will say, it's clearly nicely put together. This doesn't look thrown together at all. No. I mean, this thing was was planned carefully and put together. It's still looking as sin. This is but, <clears throat> someone's vision. Yes, that's a good way to describe it. This is someone's vision. Wow. With a crotch shifter. Wow. <laughs> we we can't beat that. Not many of my visions involve crotch shifters out there. We can't beat that. No, there's no topping that. Uh, unless, yeah. what is this? It's a cafe style 1981 Suzuki MC GN400. Oh, I've lowered the price by $75 oh, okay. to $725. Mm-hmm. Making this a great present for you motorcycle riders. Mm. Kickstart 
Cafe style, great shape. Recent rebuild with a center and cafe style kickstand. Cafe stand, kickstand. Oh. New not new tires, lots of compression. A screamer cannot man up to start, so need to trade for another bike. Is he still talking about a bike? Yeah, yeah. Since it's a Kickstarter, you uh, you, you know there is a little thing you can do as the compression release for Kickstarters, right, dude? Or that's broken, in which case don't buy this bike because you break your leg with it. <laughs> he wants a two at least a two fifty cc with electric start or easier kickstart. Uh, dirt bike riders seem to have no problem starting this bike. That's because they're wearing giant armored boots. So the uh oh what the so he appears to have made this a cafe style by uh ripping up the rear of the seat and smashing up the rear fender and folding it down and folding it down yeah folding the seat which down. as everyone knows makes it look cool and cafe y yeah and he put some uncomfortable bars on it yeah now I note that it still <laughs> I note that it still has the awful front end which normally would be mounted with what is it folks 1981 Japanese bike with a tall front end what. Buckhorns! <laughs> you know what this bike needs? Not buckhorns. Buck no. No. <laughs> no. No. A rear fender so you don't get mud in your butt? Nope. It needs a goddamn car headlight on that front fender. You know, you're right. That would work a lot better. Fuck yeah. Mm-hmm. Car headlight. I'm calling yeah. it right now. That's next year's Maybe a Farkle. That or the penis intake? <laughs> <laughs> no, that's just going too far. Okay. All right. You're right. That's ridiculous. Listeners. Put a, a car headlight on your front fender. Get out there. Send us a send you'll, us a picture. You'll thank me. Mm-hmm. It'll be sweet. Uh, you know, I'm gonna go, I'm gonna say this does not top the trike. No, no, this does not. But this is horrible. Top the trike, but it is indeed a horrible bike. <laughs> horrible, horrible bike. Yes, listeners. Quick tip about kickstart bikes. Okay, if you go to kick it and it kicks back so hard it hurts, that means its compression release on the Kickstarter doesn't work. That's bad. Because well, you will hurt yourself. That, that's why, well, you can break your leg, right? Yeah. yeah you can people, break stuff. People do that with bigger bikes. Break things. You know, it makes me glad I have the Urals where, you know, you, if it kicks back, it just throws you off the side of the bike. <laughs> Whee! <laughs> but you can't mount a, one like the Urals on a two-wheeled bike for reasons that should be fairly self-evident. Mm-hmm. The Urals kicks out to the side. Yeah. Which is cool. Which is cool, but doing that on a two-wheeled would be a really poor <laughs> idea. <laughs> I'm going to kick this to funk. You know, you say that. But have you, haven't you been reading these ads? You know, you make an excellent point, sir. The dude with the bobber chopper, he would totally do that. Mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> Sideways kickstarter. Yep. Solid. Kick good. Start. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. It's a dark place out there. This is horrible. <laughs> well, we can we can all feel vaguely superior though to these people. I mean, that's vaguely. what they're out there. <laughs> well, you know, I mean, I'm feeling ten times better about myself. Well, what if they're good riders? They could be. You know what they probably need? What? A riding school. A riding school. A riding they school. Don't need that they've got cool bikes. Well, now they got cool bikes. They need a riding school. Hmm. When do they get one of those? Okay, we're on the phone with Lee Parks of uh, Lee Parks Designs and the Total Control Events Writing Clinic. Stealing right from his website, he's been uh, riding since uh, 84 on the frozen lakes of the Midwest, been in all kinds of races, earned a number two plate in the 94 AMA, and he's the, was the uh, is or was the editorial director of Motorcycle and Consumer News and Auto Restore. And now he makes gloves and sells them to people and then mm-hmm. teaches people how to crash on those gloves. Mm-hmm. Solid. I think you've got a good uh, economy thing going here. Yeah, I don't think I probably would have described it quite that way, but we'll we'll go with that for now. 
<laughs> so you're up in New York City right now, right? I am, yes. Were you there for the IMS? No, uh, we were there for the IMS, although this time was different. We were actually at the IMS in Washington, D.C., and uh, after that, there was a different kind of a trade show as opposed to a consumer show up here for retailers. So the attendees would be people like anything from AutoZone to Nordstrom to Sears, and even little guys like Lee Parks Design were here. So learning about, you know, point-of-sale systems and merchandising and all that kind of boring stuff for people who are not in the retail business. So th- did anything stand out or impress you about this year's IMS? Besides the Ducati girls, you know. <laughs> well, yeah, sure. Nothing in particular that I can really think of. I was, uh, we were at the, the AIM show. I don't know if you guys got to go out to that down at Orlando. Yeah, it was a combination trade show and consumer show. It's basically a copy of the ICMA show that they do in Italy. It's a five-day motorcycle show. It was pretty amazing. They had 400 vendors, of which we were two of them, with total control of the parts design. And uh, that was also where uh, Eric Dual Racing debuted the 1190, which was pretty exciting to to see that. And there was a bunch of people, even from overseas, who came out over for that. Uh, so that, that was a little more interesting than the IMS shows have been. But, you know, they're, they've been pretty typical. And uh, Did you get to touch the Beal? I did. I got to touch it. I got to sit on it. Didn't get to ride it, but... Um, he was like, I'm afraid you're going to do really tight U-turns on it. Cut it out. Stop it. Yes. It, it was actually a combination booth of uh, of EDR and Hero, who uh, just invested $25 million in Jewel. And so uh, that's one of the benefits they get is they get to share the limelight at shows. Yeah, they got like, what, 49% of Buell now? Or, like, just under? Yep. They won't be kicking Eric around. What was that? Not like someone else. <laughs> no, actually, the... Eric does some, uh, and, and his company does some engineering work for them on the Indian bikes that they do for their markets as well. So I think that's actually a pretty good uh, smoking deal for them. So, Lee, how do you go from being a racer to, like, you got two almost different industries that you're, you're, you're dabbling in here? Yeah, I mean, well, they're both the same industry, the motorcycle industry, but there are two different sizes that one is the uh, uh, apparel side, and we do that as a manufacturer with Lee Parts Design. And then the other is the training side with total control training. Um, interestingly, the customers are almost exactly the same. In fact, many people are customers of both companies. So from that perspective, it's nice because they both help promote one another and so forth. But really, it comes down to both the companies come back to when I was the uh, editor for Motorcycle Consumer News, uh, which I did for quite a few years back in the 90s. And I used to, uh, you know, if, if you guys are familiar with the publication, you know, they do a lot of scientific destructive testing. And so, among other things, you know, we tested all kinds of products, but gloves were one of them. And I just never, you know, we learned a lot from testing everybody else's products. And I just wasn't happy with the way anybody was really doing gloves because the last thing the world needed was another glove manufacturer. But I figured out how to build a better mousetrap. And so that was what started that business. And the other business also kind of had an NCN beginning in that we used to get a lot of requests from our readers. Um, you know, basically they'd say, hey, luckily I took the basic course, I took the experience course, I want to get better, but I don't want to go racing, what else is there? And really at that time, nothing else existed in terms of advanced training for street riders. And after I got enough complaints from people saying they wished something existed, I just said, well, no one else is going to do it, I guess it might as well be me. And that's what started the, well, originally they were called the Lee Parks Advanced Riding Clinics, and after... 
uh, we had been doing those for a few years. And, you know, as a full-time magazine editor, I didn't really have a lot of time to put into it back then. I had gotten a phone call from Motor Books International, which is the world's largest publisher of automotive and motorcycle books, among other things. And uh, they said, hey, we keep hearing these good things about your school. We want you to do a book about it. And so that's what became the book Total Control. And then when that became really popular, I renamed the school the Total Control Advanced Riding Clinic. And, uh, you know, we now do it. With about, we've got about 20 providers around the country who do it uh, civilian-wise as well as quite a bit for the military. And uh, it's pretty exciting to see how that's grown into a great business all by itself. Oh, wow. Now, it's grown quite a bit. I have, I have to imagine when you started, there was probably some skepticism uh, about whether this would be a working business idea. Yeah, well, I think I started it part-time, so I didn't really need to do anything other than, you know, if I could do a few classes a year, I was happy because I was so busy doing other stuff. And uh, at pretty much the same time, the parts design sort of came into its own and became its own separate business. Total Control, not too soon after, uh, you know, became a pretty solid standalone business as well. And right about the time that I was sort of tired of being bought and sold and moved around the country for various jobs for big companies, just decided I would go out on my own and do that as a full-time business. So which business are you more involved in? Literally, it's about 50-50. Okay. Are you teaching or just running the school? Um, both. I, I do a, I do quite a bit of teaching, and uh, I especially do a lot of instructor training because I'm the one that trains all the instructors around the country. And so I'm probably maybe 60% of the time doing student classes, 40% doing instructor classes, but the vast majority of our classes are done by other instructors that I've trained at various locations around. So would it be fair to say that the Total Control book is essentially the textbook for this class? Yeah, I mean, that's basically what the, the class is based on. Well, I shouldn't say that. The book was based on the class, and then I did quite a bit of research for the book, which then made it back into the class. And um, actually, as we speak, I'm working on the second edition of the book, which should be out by next winter. And uh, it'll basically have all the things that we've learned in the last 10 years of, of teaching these classes. Crashing hurts. Total control. To control harder. <laughs> I think that should totally Not be quite, but close enough. Chapter one. Gas it and pray. <laughs> Make sure Sally's wearing a thong. There you go. You know, looking at the glove, the first question I want to ask you about your gloves is no armor. I'm used to, you know, you used to looking at the off-the-rack gloves. Everyone's got, like, plastic armor, carbon fiber armor. These don't look like I'm about to, you know, pilot a giant robot, and I don't know how I feel about that. Right. Well, I like to use the armor to punch Todd in the face, for you know, example. Right. Well, there's a few things to say about that. Here, I can show you right now. Do you want to see? I can show you. I can totally demonstrate this. Focus check. Glove technology. First of all, you know, you've got everything from people who don't wear gloves to people who wear things that look like RoboCop and everything in between. So, really, if you look at how most people crash, when most people crash their motorcycle, what do they do? They brace their fall by putting their hands down to, you know, to help stop them. And it's, it's actually a fairly rare injury to see an impact injury from the back of your hand because, like I said, most people put their hands down. And, and not that armor's bad. And, you know, we're actually working on a couple of ways to try to incorporate armor into one of the gloves that we've got. But realistically, most of the hand injuries that you see are from abrasion either because they wore through the material or because one of the seams opened up. And so what's really most important in terms of having Good hand protection is a really strong material and really strong seams. And as we found, the fewer seams, the better, because every seam is a potential failure point. And uh, I'm also a big believer in 
American industry, so we manufacture all of our stuff here domestically. And when people wonder why there, yes, I mean when people wonder why there's no jobs in this country, it's because well, when you buy everything that's made in Pakistan and China, that's where the jobs go. So not only do you get much better quality that way, but you're also able to get serviced afterwards. Since we have our factory, we can do repairs and alterations and things like that. And of course, you're supporting American workers, which is good for everybody. They work well for me on hell on gloves. Yeah, yeah. Actually, I did. I did have a question about that. You see, the, there's all these exotic leathers that keep showing up. You know, it's oh, it's got ray skin on it. Kangaroo skin is the one that shows up all the time. Held pucks that one up. My helds actually developed a hole in the kangaroo skin, which is so strong. Um, but there's also like the elk skin, the cowhide, the deer. I mean, how, what? Why do you choose deer versus others? I mean, how do you do? You go out and like poke animals with things? Please say yes. Back when I was at MCM, we did a lot of real scientific destructive testing of all the different types of hides. And in any kind of hide, the thicker it is, the stronger it's going to be, obviously. Um, kangaroo is actually a, a good material. It's actually the strongest for its thickness. But the problem is you can't get it very thick for gloves. And so uh, for, for a given thickness, kangaroo is going to have the best uh, tear resistance and really good abrasion resistance. But um, it also... Almost all the kangaroo comes from Australia, and it's very difficult to get a consistent supply of that over here, especially if you're going to be manufacturing over here. And so uh, the deer and the elk, you can get significantly thicker than the kangaroo to where we actually get better abrasion protection with the thicker deer or elk than we did with the thinner kangaroo. And because it all comes from here and it's all tanned here, we can control the whole process a lot better. Kind of keeps it an all-American product, which, like I said, is something I also enjoy doing. When he says they source it here, what he means is they drive around in a pickup truck at night. Now we can fill an order. <laughs> yeah, actually, it's interesting. All the, uh, all the deer that we use is hunted deer, and it all comes either from uh, sort of upstate Wisconsin or upstate New York. And uh, it's got to be places where it's cold because that's where the deer grow the thick hides to protect themselves. California or Texas deer wouldn't make very good motorcycle gloves. Let me stop you right there. You're saying the best deer come from upstate New York, right? For making gloves in terms of the uh, the hides. Right. I bet they're running uh, around the campus of my own college. Uh, where you are right now? No, I'm in no, I'm in Manhattan right now. So I'm, we're in we're in Lower New York right now. We're in New York City. You totally you're you're renting a pickup to go upstate, aren't you? You and your buddies, you're gonna get some you're gonna get a, a twelve pack of beer and you're gonna get some shotguns. You don't need a shotgun if you have the pickup. Uh, that's true. You're 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 there on that's what that's your trade show. You're there to collect deer. Yeah, actually it's uh nobody kills deer for the hide, they kill them for the meat and the hide is just a byproduct which they sell for the cannery and then we buy them, you know, once they've been tanned for the cannery. Although interestingly, almost all of the Deer skin that's tanned in the U.S. goes to Italy to make things like women's purses and things like that. So very little of it stays here for doing gloves like we do. And quite a bit of it even gets sent over to China to make gloves over there. Is the, is the market tough for deer here? I mean, or uh, for you for, to get your supply? Um, it, it is if we don't plan ahead. So uh, at the beginning of the year, uh, the canneries that we use always try to prefer domestic producers like us. So we'll tell them how much we think we're going to need, and they'll put that aside for us. And then whatever's left over is what they'll sell overseas. So we, so far we've, so far we've been okay. Uh, I guess if I was the biggest manufacturer in the world, we probably would have supply issues, but, uh, for the size that we are and being able to predict with reasonable accuracy about what we think we're going to do, then we should generally be okay. I want some of these gloves now. Yeah, me too. Wow. They're even the color I like. Yeah. <laughs> what, yellow? 
Yeah, well, you know, the, have you seen my outskin gloves? With any garments, jacket, pants, boots, helmet, gloves, doesn't matter. You always want to strive for what we call transparency. In other words, when you put it on, you don't want to notice it at all. There's a famous quote from a Dallas philosopher named Zhuangzi who said, when the shoe fits, the foot is forgotten. And that's kind of how you want all your protective gear to be. You know, when you're wearing it, you want to notice it because you don't notice it. It should just be very sort of transparent and natural. And uh, that's one of the things that we get a lot from people who own our gloves is that they just they love how they don't even feel like they're wearing gloves when they've got them on. Mm-hmm. I've been looking for transparent pants for years. Thank God he hasn't yeah. found them. Oh, you're in a, you're out of Victorville, huh? Or the Lee Parks design is out of yeah. Victorville? Oh, wow. I, did, right. I, I thought it was all just retired people in Victorville. No, no. You ever go on that giant swing thing? Right. You know, I, actually, I never have, but I'm not much for roller coasters or big swingy things or anything like that. So uh, I see it all the time, but I've never actually done that myself. But you, you're a advanced writer. <laughs> you should no, no, he likes he likes to be nice and planted on the ground, <laughs> seconds away from death, as opposed to flying through the air, seconds. Exactly. I prefer to do my flying on the ground. That's for sure. Is is the Korean barbecue buffet there any good? It's awesome. Oh my God. It's actually. I think you're speaking a different language. It's, it's not a buffet, but I, it's, I, there's I a great by, Korean barbecue place out there. Yeah. I drive by all the time. Uh huh. You know. Yeah. I'm just yeah. curious. Okay. I I like to eat. I know. Yeah. No, ab- ab- absolutely, and I can tell you, I mean, we've traveled all over the world, including the Far East, and that place is as good as any Korean place we've been to anywhere. Well then. See? I'm glad I asked. You heard it here from Lee Parks. Right. Riding, riding instructor, safety equipment maker, and uh, for their Korean barbecue. Stop picking on me. <laughs> so talk to, talk to us about the class. Who, who comes to your class? Well, it's interesting. Um, we get a pretty wide cross-section of people, but the fat part of the bell curve is sort of middle-aged sport touring guys. <laughs> did, you, did, you, did you just say fat? <laughs> you described it as the fat part? No, I, I didn't say fat. <laughs> I, I like to learn how to ride my bike better. <laughs> right. But uh, the, the, reason I, the reason I say it's interesting is because, uh, you know, I'm very involved in a lot of sort of state motorcycle program issues when uh, we do the State Motorcycle Safety Administrators Conference and so forth. And the people that take our class are exactly the kind of smart, low-risk people that are not the ones that are going to be killing themselves anyway. And so the, the real question all of us in the motorcycle training business have is, yeah, we're all preaching to the choir. The kind of people that sign up for our courses are already the low-risk people. It's how do we reach the guys that wouldn't otherwise sign up for motorcycle schools. And that's one of the areas that we've been really successful in with the, with the military. We do quite a bit of business with the military in general, although the Marines specifically. And uh, as Avery could put it, they're volunteered to be there. And uh, But the, the cool thing with those guys is once they get into class and they realize mm-hmm. that this is not just makes them a lot safer, but it's a ton of fun and they get to really enjoy the process. Um you know, instead of something that they were just sort of ordered to do, they realized that, you know, they're very lucky that the government paid for them to go do this. And when they get done, they will often go over to the safety officers and say, hey, when can we come back and practice some more? We had so much fun. We want to keep working on our skills. And that's a real paradigm shift in, in that culture. So I'm, I'm imagining when you do like a Marine class, it's going to be mostly younger guys with sport bikes. It's about 70% guys with sport bikes, 30% guys, usually with Harleys, but, but cruisers in general. And um, 
Okay. We train primarily what they call the motorcycle mentors. These are older guys. Now, older in the Marine Corps may mean 26 years old, but, uh, you know, older guys who are, <laughs> uh, you know, have, have a bunch of other riders underneath them in their units that they're responsible for. And uh, so they put them through this to hopefully be able to trickle down some of the lessons that they learned from working with us to, to the rest of the guys in their unit there. And so generally speaking, they've got a great attitude. And uh, again, they're the slightly older guys. They're not the 18-year-olds right out of school because that's though where the real problem is. And, uh, you know, you can imagine what kind of a first bite these guys buy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Come back with a little right. combat pen in the pocket. Oh, yeah. Exactly. So they're not buying Ninja 250s or, you know, little Rebels. I mean, they're coming in and buying R1s and GFXR 1000s or Electroglides or Goldens as their first bike. And, of course, <laughs> all of those are horrible first bikes for anybody. And, uh, you know, the things that make them good Marines make them dangerous motorcyclists. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, they're actually great with training, but they're accidents they need to happen until they get that training. And so, you know, I feel very privileged to be able to sort of give back and, and train these men and women that serve us so well. I mean, you and I, and we're all only able to do what we do because they do their jobs. And uh, I, I saw an interesting bumper sticker the other day. It said, freedom isn't free, but the Marines pay most of your share. <laughs> so no disrespect to any of the other services, but I did get quite a good chuckle out of that. The gunny says quit riding like an asshat. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> so I'm, I'm curious, you know, your Marine class is, is like you've got that uh, demographic. Say your outside course is made up of a bunch of fatty middleweight guys on um, GSs, Tigers, Explorers. Does that change what you, the instructors, do with the class as far as what you're you're trying to impart information-wise? Well, there's, there's two basic differences. The, the first one is... Uh, when you teach the civilian classes, we make requests of riders to try new things. But Marines don't really respond to requests. They only respond to orders. And so you basically tell them what they're going to be doing, and they respect that, and they do that, and they, they're fantastic students. Um, but, you know, you don't talk to civilians that way, or you sound very pushy. But that's that's the way that they're used to having a chain of command. And so you walk in there as the alpha male and explain, here's what's going on, here's what we're going to do. Good to go. Off we go. I'm imagining the drill sergeant from Full Metal Jacket doing motorcycle training now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, definitely not to that extreme. That's you will sure, turn but, your uh, enter bag. You will uh, turn it now or I will go home and couch out. Gunny <laughs> <laughs> says to stop riding That's like right. an That's right. This is my motorcycle. There are many like it, but this one is mine. <laughs> No, it's not quite like that. Because <laughs> it's leaking oil. You call that a lean <laughs> angle, pal! <laughs> so, anyway, so that, that's the first difference. The second difference is in the civilian classes, we spend a lot of time teaching people how to overcome their fears. And whether it's somebody who is a newer rider or someone who's experienced, who got spooked, or even a track day guy who just wants to lower his lap times, it's always trying to push them to the next level. But the Marines come in and they already have no fear. So it's almost the opposite. We almost have, we have to really just sort of slow them down and get them to start riding within their ability level because fear is not an issue for those guys. And so. Yeah, riding parking lot doesn't really compare. Right, right. Although, although we do these in the parking lot and although the, the mile per hour speeds are relatively low, the G forces are pretty high. So it feels like you're going really fast even though you're in a parking lot because of the way that we do our, our exercises. And so that's one of the benefits is we're able to replicate high-speed turns and G-forces, but in a low-speed controlled environment. 
which is the main difference between what we do and say, you know, the MSF classes or some of the other parking lot based classes that are out there, like the motor cop schools and things like that. I have it on good authority that occasionally in MSF classes, rebels will be over far enough at 15 miles an hour to scrape. I mean, I heard from a friend. Not me. <laughs> you would be amazed what you could do on a rebel on a parking lot with the right skill. No, I wouldn't because I've seen a student do a 360 <laughs> rebel power slide. Nice. <laughs> so. On purpose? No. <laughs> no, I'm pretty sure she didn't do that on purpose. <laughs> Well, you know, just to just to sort of see what was possible, and I don't recommend this or have anyone ever try this, but just to see if it was possible, I did want to take a uh, GZ250, and within the little U-turn box that the, the MSF has in the basic class, was able to do sort of a figure eight, dragging my knees in both directions without breaking the line. And to do that at such an incredibly low speed, you, you're basically just down and back up in both sides as quick as possible. Like I said, it's... I would never tell anyone to try that, but it is possible, and I have actually done it. So you never know what's possible until you push the limits on those things. Well, there's listeners who are taking notes as we speak. <laughs> I know what I'm going to do. Here, hold my beer. Yes, don't try that at home, kids. Would you categorize the class as more of a street-oriented or track-oriented? Well, everything that we do is related to the street, but I'd say 90% of what we do also works on the track. But it's not... Uh, it's not a track-only class. So anyone that's, that's a track guy, either a racer or just likes to do track days, would certainly be able to lower their lap times and would learn a ton of stuff that they're not going to learn in any of the track schools in terms of technique-wise. Obviously, the speeds are going to be much lower, which is part of why you're able to learn the technique so much faster. But everything that we do relates to street riding. So it's, you know, most of the guys will never go to the track, and that's fine. And, and you know, they're really there to learn specifically the kind of real-world skills that they're going to use every day when they're out on the street, whether they're commuting or just riding for fun or whatever it is, or long-distance touring or anything. Okay, we got one question in from a listener. Mm-hmm. Uh, counterbalance or pretend to be in MotoGP at 40 miles per hour? Say the question again. <laughs> I don't even understand what they're asking. <laughs> counterbalance or pretend to be in MotoGP at 40 miles an hour? I got the pretend to be MotoGP at 40 miles an hour. I couldn't say, what, what, say again the first part of that. They're asking whether they should counterbalance or pretend to be in MotoGP at 40 miles an hour. Oh, gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. Okay. I'm, I'm bad um, at, at English. At, okay. At, at 40 miles an hour, you always want your center line to the inside of the bike center line. So that isn't necessarily pretending you're a MotoGP guy, but if that's if the alternative is counterbalancing versus leaning in, then definitely leaning in at 40. Well, there you have it. The, the, the only time you really would be counterbalancing away would be if you were going less than – maybe 20 miles an hour, or if you were very quickly making an evasive maneuver, just a quick swerve around something. But any normal sort of constant radius turns that you're going over maybe 15 or 16 miles an hour, you're going to be, you're going to want your center line to the inside of the bike center line. Because otherwise what's going to happen is you're going to use up all of your ground clearance pushing the bike underneath you. That works great when you're going really slow in a parking lot, just like you see the guys that do those sort of motor cop skill competitions or, you know, when people are making tight U-turns. Counterbalancing is great for that, but once you get to any sort of normal street speed, you don't want to give up ground clearance by pushing the bike underneath you. So now the interesting thing that I note about that is your answer is what you're talking about is kind of a real fundamental. You talk about bringing racers in, talk about bringing these guys in who are, you know, riding fast, trying to ride faster. Something I've noticed I'm interested in if you see the same thing. Does it seem like most of the advanced classes are really just doing the fundamentals, but do them in a situation where you're a little more stressed out. 
I'm not sure I understand the question. Try that again. Do you, do you feel like when you're teaching an advanced course, what you're really doing is you're drilling in the fundamentals harder, I guess, for lack of a better term? Yeah, well, I think it depends on what fundamentals you're teaching. It, you know, basically, we take a very physics-based approach. So uh, having said that, I would say there are certain biases that we have. The biases that we have would be less lean angle is better than more lean angle for any given speed. And less physical effort used is better than more physical effort used for any given speed. And less mental effort is better than more mental effort for a given speed. So anything that makes it easier physically, mentally uh, to do a particular thing, anything that makes the bike lean over less as opposed to more is a good thing. And um, anything that basically gives you more options at the end of a turn in terms of speed or position is a good thing. You know, you don't want to run out of, you know, in other words, you don't want to be going through a corner dragging foot pegs or floorboards when all of a sudden you discover someone's crashed in front of you or it's decreasing radius or there's a dog or gravel or something in there because you're not going to have any ground clearance up to be able to tighten up your line anymore. And I think that's the big problem with taking what a lot of people learn in the beginner classes out at regular street speeds is they very quickly end up over their head in terms of they came into a turn without enough sort of a safety margin in terms of things like ground clearance or skills or the ability to change either their speed or direction, and that's when they end up getting into trouble. So the more of a safety margin you can give yourself, the better it's going to be in any situation. And so if you're teaching the right fundamentals, then, yeah, you're just doing it harder at higher speeds. If you're teaching the wrong fundamentals or fundamentals that only work at low speeds, then at higher speeds you're going to end up making the guys more dangerous. So as, as an example, when uh, when the Marines first came to us and said, well, you know, we're doing this program and that program, and now we want to add your program, how does it fit in, what do you think about this or that? And I said, well, if you're just sending guys to track days, all you're doing is increasing the speed at which they're going to be crashing their bikes. If you're not giving them any additional information or any new skills, just putting them on a track isn't going to solve anything. It just means that they're going to be going faster when they make those mistakes and screw up and crash. So much better to be teaching them something that they can use at those higher speeds than just throwing them out there and, you know, letting them run their adrenaline. You're like, well, if you're going to do that, make sure they buy these gloves. (laughs) Two two or three pairs of pieces. Get out there and suck it riding faster. (laughs) Just just be wearing this and a lot of these gloves. Put them on your knees, your shoulders. Well, of course, the whole thing with any safety gear is uh, it's all the same until you crash, and then you find out if it's any good or not. That's a bad time to discover that it wasn't good quality, regardless of what it is. Ever crash with wearing your gloves? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I definitely crashed wearing my gloves, and I, to this day, never had a hand injury. So, uh, hope to keep it that way. <laughs> so now, do you still uh, do you still get on the track and ride fast in circles and ovals and things a bunch? Um, I do actually. We, you know, we have one version of our total control class, although this is only available to graduates who've already done our parking lot based course, but that we actually do on racetracks. And, but because there's so much material that we cover, you have to have done our regular class first so that we can then say, oh, remember when we worked on this? Now we're going to go practice it, but at higher speeds on the track. So I get to do a fair amount of that. And, uh, I do actually still do some racing. Um, although ironically enough, I don't really do any road racing anymore. Uh, I've been doing super motor racing and of all things at 44 years old motocross racing again for the first time since I was a teenager. So, uh, my poor body is hating that, but, uh, man, it's just so much fun to, to be out there again, and uh, I mean, I, I love road racing. I'd love to do that again as well, but uh, the amount of money it costs to do that versus what you get, supermoto and motocross are a much better deal for getting the 
when you get the racing bug and, you know, not killing the budget on everything else. Feel free not to answer this one. I can edit it out if you don't want to. How do you see your school fitting in with other schools like Street Masters or the Mad Scientist? What's his name? Huh? Uh, the evil supervillain. Oh, Keep uh, Code. Yeah. Keep Code or with Yamaha's, uh, you know, Champion track school. school. Right. Yeah. Um, where, where do you see your reviews sitting in? Well, uh, Street Masters actually has one of their classes at the same place that we do our, our track class at, uh, Horsey Mile at Will Springs, and uh, that class is a, a, a little bit different in terms of that they limit the riders to 45 miles an hour, and they basically cut the track in half so that, you know, they kind of replicate a two-lane road, whereas we're using the whole track, you know, for, for different purposes. Um, we have a little different opinions on things like trail bracing, which I think is something that can significantly increase the performance and the safety of any riders. They don't like that. Um, Walt's a good friend of mine. I've known him for years. Um, Nancy, I mean, they're, you know, they're great people over there. We have friends who are even instructors for them. And, uh, you know, ours is a much more advanced course than that in terms of the types of things that you learn. I mean, if you look at the book Total Control, you can see the kinds of things that uh, that we teach. Um, in terms of the, the, the track schools, ours is still really, uh, although it certainly applies to the track, all of our stuff is much more street-based in terms of, you know, the purpose of each of the exercises. And uh, so I'd say we're definitely more of a, of a street curriculum than you're going to get in any of the, the racing schools. Uh, but, I mean, the, the, the Yamaha school, Key School, I mean, they, they all have really good things that they teach. Uh, I haven't done the Yamaha one, although back when it was the Freddie Spencer School, I had done that and learned a ton of things in there. I really enjoyed uh, Keith's classes that I took. Um you know, I have the benefit, of course, of sort of benchmarking against those and having done all those before we did ours, you know, we were able to sort of fill in the gaps with the areas that I thought were missing. But both of those, as just two examples, uh, I think have a lot of value, and I recommend both of those to our students when they ask, well, what else should I do or what else do you like? Um, some of the places that are just sort of track days that also have training, I don't think they offer near the level of sophistication in their curriculum that the other ones that we've mentioned do. Uh, but of course, anytime you're working on your riding for the purpose of working on your riding, you're going to get better. And, uh, so I highly encourage people anytime that they, whether it's just taking a track day or taking one of the, any of the schools that you just mentioned, you know, as soon as you stop learning, that's when you need to stop riding a motorcycle. And all of us, including those of us who teach, you know, we're always trying to get better as well. And, uh, you know, in fact, I just took a, a motorcraft school for the first time this year. Um, the Moto Mark One course out in uh, North Carolina, and, uh, and I had a great time with that. And that was a very different kind of riding than the stuff that, that we teach or any of the other schools teach. Uh, and you know, it's it's not uh, Mark Brown who owns that school said it best. He said, "This isn't the best way. This isn't um, the worst way. Because this is a way. And other places have other ways to learn. And the idea is to put as many tools in your toolbox as possible, so that when you're riding your bike out on the road or out on the track." You've got as many options as possible to get yourself out of trouble or uh, just go have some fun. And so I, I think it's really important that everybody keep doing that. I, I think a lot of the schools uh, stop taking other people's classes once they think they have the answer and they know it all, and that sort of limits them in terms of what they can provide to, to new students. So it's always interesting to ask other instructors what classes they have done recently. And if the answer is I haven't taken any classes in 10 years, well, you know, they're going to be inherently limited in terms of what they can offer. And new people are always coming up with uh, 
with new ideas and, uh, you know, I, I encourage people to take multiple schools from different places because if you even get one thing out of it that helps you, quite frankly, that would work the cost of the whole course. What's the last class you've taken, Lee? Uh, like I said, I just took that, uh, precision maneuvering class, uh, a few months ago out in North oh, Carolina. Yeah, 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 yeah. And uh, I also took the, the Star School recently. Uh, I did some, uh, some of the Moto Ventures off-road work, uh, with Gary LaPlante recently. So I did three schools in the last year and, uh, you know, enjoyed something out of all those things. And when you go sign up to use like a fake name, like, like Carlos Danger or something? I'm totally not Keith Coates. <laughs> no, you know, it's funny. Um, <laughs> um, uh, you know, I try to be respectful. Whenever I take someone else's class, I act the way I would want a student Drunk. to be acting in my class. And so even if I disagree with someone or they're teaching something opposite of the way I do, I just take the attitude of any other good student and try my best to do what they're doing and, uh, you know, what, what we tell our students, because, you know, there's obviously things that a lot of us agree on, there's things that a lot of us differ on or even have opposing viewpoints on. What I tell our students is, look, I want you to think of today in the same way as you would if you were going to buy a motorcycle jacket. You'd go to a bunch of different dealerships, try on all the different jackets, see which one fits you the best. Just because you try it on doesn't mean you have to buy it, but we expect you to try on all the techniques just like they're taught and demonstrated. And we have everybody agree to that as a promise that they're willing to make. And that way, everybody gives it a shot, and if they don't like it, they don't have to do it when they leave, but it gives them the chance to actually test it out and see if it works for them. I'm trying to extend that metaphor to, and then you buy the jacket that matches the color of your bike anyway. Yeah, I, was, I tried to use the motorcycle jacket metaphor on girls I was dating, but uh, they, didn't, they didn't like it. Mm-hmm. I mean, you got to try them out. Right. Well, you know, it's, I'm sure you guys get this question all the time. They'll go, oh, well, who makes the best bike, or what's the best bike? That's like saying the prettiest girl, right? The one you're writing at the time. <laughs> Wait, which question was well, the one? The one I stole. Right. I mean, quite quite frankly, uh, with you know any of the Japanese brands, most of the Italian brands, uh, British brands. I mean, you know, they don't really make bad bikes like like they used to back in the day. And uh, so, what I always tell people is, what good dealers do you have nearby? Well, no, no, no. But which one is the best? You know, listen to my question. What good dealers? Because if you you may have the best bike in the world, but if you have a really crappy dealer, the ownership experience of having that bike is going to be really terrible. And uh, no matter how good the bike is, because if you can't get parts or you can't get service, you're not going to enjoy owning that motorcycle. And since there's so many good bikes to choose from, you know, always start with the dealers that you have nearby that you like that are going to service you and take care of you, and then decide, you know, do they have any of the bikes that will meet your needs? Lee, anything new that's coming up soon you want to plug? Well, we've got, um, you know, in addition to the, to the total control courses that, uh, that we have all over the country, um, uh, we've got also a version of the class now that will be, have a few more locations next year just for dual sport or supermoto type bikes. So it's going to be part on road and part off road. Uh, we also are going to be debuting our new beginner course this year. And, uh, so this will be the first sort of alternative mm-hmm. to the Motorcycle Safety Foundation or the uh, Team Oregon, Team Idaho, or uh, or Idaho Star programs that they have in those two that are kind of limited to those two states uh, that will be available to people on a on a national level. And mm-hmm. we're going through the process now to have it meet the NHTSA national standards, and uh, there's a lot of exciting stuff in there. Again, just like with our advanced courses, we were able to benchmark against all the existing things that were already there. And if we couldn't build a better mousetrap, we wouldn't have done it. And so there's a lot of really cool new things that 
are going to be revolutionary in terms of beginner rider training. A lot of the stuff that we've learned in the advanced courses, some of it simplified, obviously, because they're, they're newer riders. We've got a very cool new uh, sort of cornering process that that's going to be going through. And, um, you know, we do probably about 15 events a year, you know, consumer events. And we've got those listed on the Leaf Parks Design website. So if you ever want to stop by and see some of the products we've got or ask us questions about the schools, get a book autograph, whatever it is, you know, we're always happy to spend as much time as people need getting them fitted up or answering questions. And, uh, you know, sometimes I think people may just buy a pair of gloves or buy a book just so they can spend 10, 20 minutes growing me on, well, what about this thing or what about that thing? But uh, that's okay. We love uh, we love all of our customers. and. Um, uh, as, as I mentioned, I'm working on the second edition of Total Control. It'll probably be, like I said, probably the winter time before uh, before that comes out, and um, that should have a bunch of uh, a bunch of new stuff in there as well. And um, otherwise, I think uh, you know, if you go to either website, you'll get a ton of information on the things that we're doing. And uh, love to hear from people. Cool. Now, now, if I can keep you for one more minute, because now I'm curious, a new beginner course, which I think is awesome. There, there needs to be choices. Now, you mentioned that there's the START program in Idaho and Oregon, and the reason that they haven't done well elsewhere is because the states have, you know, the deal with the MSF of pass our course, get the license. Um, that's kind of a different demographic for you, isn't it? Yeah, it's a very different demographic. And uh, if you look at the fatality numbers over the last 10 years, they're not good. And, uh, you know, so what's the definition of insanity? Doing the same thing over and over and expecting different results, right? And so when you look at what a lot of the state programs are doing, they're not really making any meaningful changes uh, in terms of the uh, the way that they're doing training, the way they're training instructors, the curricula they're using. And so they're going to continue to get the same results if they don't make any of those changes. So it's exciting that we're going to have, you know, a completely new, fresh approach to to beginner training available, uh, and and it's not that the the Team Oregon or Star programs haven't done well. They don't try to do well. They're not. They're not. Their job is not to sell it or or put it out to to other states. Although they'll make it available if you ask them for it. You know, they made those specifically for meeting the needs of their states. And uh, and there's actually a lot of great stuff. And in fact, uh, a lot of our beginner course because it's open source and they they make it free available to any of the States or curriculum developers that want to use it have actually come from their beginner course in terms of some of the basics like clutch shifting, you know, the, the the standard sort of beginner beginner stuff that is really the same no matter where you do it. And then what we've done is we've taken that and then added all of the sort of things that we've learned in total control, but simplified them in a way that would be appropriate for you know newer students or, or re-entry riders. And so it really kind of gives you the the best of both worlds, the stuff that wasn't broke. We didn't change, and the stuff that had an area for improvement or where we thought we could add something new to the dialogue, we did. And, uh, you know, it's, as you said, it's for the first time going to really give states a choice because even in Oregon and Idaho, they don't have any choice. They just run that program. And so this will finally give different states or different sites or locations the ability to offer multiple programs. You know, it's interesting in the, in the automotive training world, every school basically has its own curriculum. So if you go to take car driving school – you could have 50 choices available to you. But in most states, you have a choice of one, whether it's the NSF or the Oregon or the or the Idaho programs, it's still a choice of one, which is really no choice at all. 
So that's really what we're trying to do. We're not trying to replace anything or change everybody over. We're just trying to offer an alternative. And it's going to be a more premium alternative. It's going to cost a little more, and it's going to require a little bit, uh, well, significantly more uh, instructor training and better quality instructors because that's how you get better students is by having better instructors who are better trained with a more sophisticated curriculum. And so that's what we're trying to do is just offer a premium alternative. It's, like I said, it's not to try to replace everything or, or be to do all into all to that. And uh, just like when you buy different motorcycles, you've got different price points. You know, you can buy a Suzuki DR650 or you could buy a BMW GS1200. They both kind of do the same job, but, you know, one's a lot more expensive than the other. And neither one is going to meet the needs of all the riders, just like no one rider training curriculum is going to meet the needs of all riders. And so we're just trying to put something out there that's new and a little more sophisticated and advanced in terms of how it does its training and what it teaches, you know, to give people an alternative who are interested in that. Cool. So check out all Lee's stuff on Lee Park's design and look for his revolutionary new training program for beginners, including the completely revolutionary Just Stump the Clutch, It'll Be Fine technique. It's totalcontroltraining.net and leeparksdesign.com. Those are the two websites. We'll, we'll have them on the, we'll have the links in the show notes. For that dual sport class, you need to, you, you got to call it Total Adventure Riding Clinic. Uh, it's actually called the, the uh, Supermoto Clinic, the Total Control Supermoto Clinic. So, it's, it's really a course. It needs to be called adventure. <laughs> You've got to put the word adventure in it, Lee, or you won't sell it to the dual sport audience. All right. His story checks out. I will definitely uh, take that under advisement. <laughs> <laughs> I think he just told me this. That was, that was one of the best blowouts we've ever had. <laughs> Thanks so much for being ominous, Lee. All right. It's my pleasure. Thanks a lot, guys. I've been enjoying uh, listening to the shows here, and uh, hopefully this will be another good one for you. All right, Lee Parks. What do you think about that last part as, as far as having an alternative to, to beginning writing? Uh, it's about friggin' time. Mm-hmm. I mean, the MSF has been, you know, telling us, the their, their coaches, about this great new program they've got coming with the, the test. Is, I, have my, I have reservations. Um, <laughs> but they've been telling us about this and how great it's going to be and it's, you know, it's going to rip your pants off and all this. And then they can't launch the damn thing. Oh, we're going two years now. For the, the, the 2013, the 2013 program is starting to look like it might show up in 2015. You know? Maybe what's, what's going on? Do you know? Uh, I have no idea. I'm assuming that they're, you know, still testing it out and they're getting feedback and work, working on it. But, you know, it's like, come on, guys. Huh. I mean, the things they talk about sound great. More talk about situational awareness. Yes. Good. Very good. Life saving good. But, you know, they're kind of dragging their feet. I think a little competition would be healthy, quite honestly. You know, because it's a little too easy. You just get stuck in when you're, you know, basically the guy everybody has to go to to get your license. Mm-hmm. And they've got a pretty good end with all the states. I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm hoping, you know, I'm wishing Lee good luck on that because, you know. Yeah. Well, it's going to be tough because, I mean, you know, previously when they got that in good with every state, they were pretty much the only game in town. Right. A few of the particularly weird states, Idaho and Oregon, go figure, mm-hmm. um, decided they were going to be different. But, you know, the MSF was the only game in town for the longest time. Yeah. I mean, it sounds like he's got a pretty good deal worked out with the military. Sure, yeah. But, uh, yeah, I mean, that's, go- that's going to be a tough nut to crack. Yeah. I'm excited, though. I-, I hope it goes really well, and I wish him the best, and I will go out there and try it, and I don't know. I, I, I definitely would like to take one go of his courses. See if I could cut the mustard teaching it. I don't know. I'd like to try out these gloves. It looks pretty good. The gloves look badass. Mm-hmm. Definitely. We'll have to see if I can wrangle a pair. Well, you know, my, my elk skin gloves from Aerostitch are getting increasingly horrifying because they've been worn by me. you. 
<laughs> but you still love them, right? I mean, I they... still love them. I tell you what, man, the, the, the full leather glove that's not like little bits of leather stitched together. It's like a big hunk of leather with very few seams in it. Yeah. Oh my God. It's so good. And yours doesn't have armor either, right? No, it's just got the gel uh, over the knuckles. Although he makes a good point. It's actually got gel in the palm too. Mm-hmm. Um, but he makes a good point is how often do you hit your knuckles on things when you're crashing? Well, when you're crashing. But when you're saving women from a group of Hell's Angels, I mean, that's that's my Sunday. Sure, sure. Okay. In which case, yeah, a little bit of good, you know. I mean, have you armor. seen me flexing and stuff? I've oh, been, yeah. I've been working yeah, out. Yeah, you do it an awful lot. Yeah. You, know. you can give yourself a hernia that way. <laughs> you know, you're, you're reaching an age where... where <laughs> you know, my Chuck, my... you're reaching an age where you're the target market. For what? Well, Lee was talking about middle-aged guys on adventure bikes and sport tours. And the fat part of the bell curve. Uh-huh. <sighs> Chuck, you are the fat part of the bell curve. What happens if I show up on a Ural? <laughs> then everybody just goes, huh? <laughs> show me how to lean. <laughs> I still want to. I'm, I'm leaned all the way over. I still want to take one of our Urals out on the track and just rail it. <laughs> What's the technique around the corners? Never get off the gas, ever. And by real, you mean go possibly 70? <laughs> and if you miss and if you miss the corner, who cares? <laughs> Never get off the gas, ever. Take it right into the gravel. Right through the gravel, through the photographer. <laughs> He's coming right for me. <laughs> this track needs more turns. <laughs> Look out. Bump, bump, bump. What was that? I don't know. It felt like a sport bike. <laughs> No, I don't see that happening. What I see happening is you're like, slow down, you hooligan damn kids. Stop that. That's when you need the, that's when you need the glove with the armor in the, in the, the back of your knuckles, mm-hmm. knuckles, so you can just stick it out for the left turn. Just them. <laughs> that's what you get. You with your 165 miles an hour. <laughs> Zero to 60. True. <laughs> Duh. Duh. Just you wait, motherfuckers. The front straight is coming. I'm going to hit 70. God damn it, monkey duck. You're creating too much drag. Who said you could have two pillows? <laughs> Get off the bike, run, and catch up with Throw the, one of the cushions. <laughs> We just load up the sidecar with as much random shit as we can find. Wait, wait, back up. Your sidecar is already full of much random shit as you could find. That we won't mind throwing out. Oh, right, yeah. Because I say, I, I probably have 50 pounds of crap in my trunk, but I want it all. It's all right. there for a reason. No, we're going we're gonna to load it up with dolls, Barbies, stuffed animals, <laughs> life, life preservers, broken <laughs> boat anchors, <laughs> broken appliances, cinder blocks. <laughs> we'll just be going down the street. Clank, clank, clank. <laughs> <laughs> Sport track bikes weaving in and out. Let's see, there you go. We're improving the classroom. <laughs> you know, I mean, you never know when you're going to come around a corner and there's going to be an old washing machine there. <laughs> Bed sheet just <laughs> <laughs> Well, you know what always happens there is that, well, 
it's a, it's a known fact. I know how this works. They ride around the corner and they get the bed sheet over their head. Instantly, the crazy music starts playing and they start doing all these crazy <laughs> things in fast motion, like riding through buildings and then like all the naked girls are chasing them. And... <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> and that'll make them go really fast. And they will thank you for that. <laughs> we hit the second straightaway sandbags. <laughs> <laughs> At that, we hit the second straightaway. At that point, we moved to the trunk. Just trying to step out the trunk. <laughs> Beer cans, a keg. Well, I just figured the wind would be blowing beer cans out of it the whole time. A, a bucket of just motor oil. <laughs> a hibachi with charcoal lit. Not until we're done eating. Oh my god, we have got to take the girls to track day. <laughs> you guys are really gonna go out there, nut? Duh. <laughs> ah, it's good. <laughs> Get hit seven, hit seventy with favorable wind <laughs> slope. <laughs> nah, skip breakfast. Be Extra wa- acceleration. <laughs> Be warned, raceways. <laughs> Here we come. Ah. <laughs> uh. Oh, I forgot what we were talking about. <laughs> <laughs> who knows and who cares? Uh, okay. I'm kind of ba- – I think I'd I'd rather take Street Masters to start before yeah. I, I go to Lee. Mm-hmm. I would like to take both. Yeah. I, I kind of like – what you know, Street Masters seems to be more street-oriented, touring-oriented versus well, – That's the name. Yeah, versus what uh, well, Lee's, Lee's going at. Lee's teaching techniques that go in your toolbox. Mm-hmm. Street Masters is also teaching techniques that go in your toolbox. Street Masters is totally tooled at street. Yeah. So, you know, I mean, as he points out, things like trail breaking. I mean, the thing about trail breaking is, is trail breaking useful? Absolutely. Great skill to have. Would I teach it to a beginner or even an intermediate type of rider? Never in a thousand years. Yeah. It's also an incredibly good way to just ruin yourself. Yeah, yeah. If you're doing trail breaking, it means you came in really fast. <laughs> you better have meant it. <laughs> <laughs> you better mean it. <laughs> you, know, you know how we trail break in the Earl? Drop anchor. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Just as long as it's not one of those, those mud burrowing anchors. God, I freaking hate those things. Oh, my God. I just realized something. There's a tradition in my family that's an important tradition I have to upkeep. It's okay. a tradition of coxmen throwing anchors over the side of something and forgetting to tie the other end to anything. I can keep up that, tr- that tradition now. <laughs> and plus, I get to call myself a coxman. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Win, win. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, okay. Let's see. I know, back on so topic. we got this thing. Uh, motorcycles. Motorcycles. Formed. Yep. Eye-catching spinning wheel screens. We do spinning wheel screens. Yep. Oh, I see. You put them on your spokes and they make a picture. Why does it always come back to half-naked women? Well, it is. It's from a, a, a Thai, Thailand design firm. Uh-huh. So they're okay. Asian people. So clearly. Clearly there must be half-naked white women on their wheels. You know, I'm thinking that's a girl in like That's a dude in drag. Uh, Also possible. He's uh, pulling it off well. But, you know, look, at it. it's like a, a, this LED thingy. That... I, I'd do it in a heartbeat. Oh, I would totally do it. What would you put on your wheels? The Wheel Nerds logo? Yes, that would be badass. <laughs> <laughs> that and or Batman. Batman. <laughs> I, you know what I'd really want is I'd want a way to control this from the driver's seat. 
Yeah. Oh, you could do it like middle fingers. Yeah, middle fingers, <laughs> Batman, Wheel Nerds logo. Your phone number. Happy face. Call me. Yeah, you know. Uh, I like it. Yeah, I think it's cool. I, you know, I, I, there's all these LEDs and things you put on everything and all this crap. But even it'd be cool even if you just did like a solid color at night kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, it would be cool. I mean, you might you might hit law crap at that point. Yeah, you probably can't. I mean, you'd have to do. You have to do something that widely conforms green. to. I mean, you can't do red, blue. Or maybe you can't do white either. I don't know. I, I it's it's because uh, you know guys do the underglow on the in the car scene. Oh right, yeah. And if they do the wrong colors, they get in deep doo doo. Deep, deep doo doo. Yeah. Hey, one more thing to give them a ticket for. Right. So you got to do colors like green. Mm-hmm. You know, you can't do red, blue. You can't look like a cop in any way. Mm-hmm. Still, pictures on wheels. Yeah. Or you can put you know naked girls. Or, yeah, naked girls, you know. I mean, that, that's a given. I'm sure that won't offend anyone. Any motorcycle accessory must have half-naked women or possibly dudes in drag pulling it off pretty well. <laughs> Whatever works, quite honestly. Thailand. Yeah, I like the idea. I, I, I think it's cool. I, now, the only problem I can see is if you go down a little further in the article, they meant it's going to set you back more than a 1,000 pounds, which uh, translates to more money than you want to spend. Yeah, and uh, I wonder – also, I mean, it looks like essentially you're replacing your whole wheel. Uh, it looks like there's actually little doodads that fit onto the rim, but yeah, I don't know. I guess your rim would have to take it too. Yeah. And you have to set it up for the right number of spokes and yeah, I could see this. This could be kind of. It could be an undertaking. Yeah. yeah. Still. Set you back a thousand pounds. Still, Batman logos on your bill. I, I like it. Mm-hmm. I'm down for it. I dig it. They're called wheelies. That's a very clever name. Yeah. Thousand pounds, but it's the first of its kind. Yep. I like it. Yep. I want some. Me too. Sign me up if I can get them for Not less than a thousand pounds. <laughs> <laughs> Something in the more like fifteen dollar range would be good. Uh, okay, listener, Matt, we only got two this week. Okay, well, there's some good ones. Chad wants to know technical question. What is the best oil for my verses? Well, Chad, ideally you want peanut oil. Canola is okay if you have to do that. See, modern engines really need monounsaturated fats to help maintain the metallurgy of the valves. This has been one of those things since they improved the valve springs a long time ago. Since the Versus is a liquid-cooled machine, though, don't waste the extra money on the high-heat peanut oil. I mean, you hear this all the time from these guys. You know, I get all these magical extra gas mileage and all this, but come on. It's it's a liquid-cooled engine. You're never going to get up to the heat level where you need the high-heat peanut oil. I hate you both so much. <laughs> no, the correct answer to this question is RTFM. What is the oil that is printed on the side of the case or in your manual? Get that. I st- I still do the uh, the the truck oil, the heavy diesel engine oil. The- Rotella's diesel engine oil. It's it, like, is it the viscosity that's written on the side of the case? Yes. Well, wait. Yes, yes. I forget. Okay, because your low number can be lower. Your high number, you don't want to mess with. Yeah, no, it's 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 yeah. <laughs> it's the same. I've run that oil on like all my bikes so far, and it's mm-hmm. been it's been pretty good. I I it's the Rotella. Don't, don't run it in the Ural. Don't run it in the Ural. No. What run what I run in the Ural takes twenty W fifty. AKA okay. the my bike leaks oil. <laughs> my old shitty truck leaks oil oil. Do not under any circumstances put anything else in the Ural. M- most of my bikes take ten W forty with modern engines. So it's uh, one of these like uh it's Rotello's um heavy duty mm-hmm. engine heavy oil. duty engine oil. How often do you change it? Every three, four thousand miles. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
putting a lot of heavy duty on that. Can you hear me speaking in your father's voice yet? That's stupid. No. Why would you do that? What a waste of money. He actually said to do it because it was cheaper to buy it this way. Oh, okay. This, well. this stuff's relatively cheap because you buy it in like, you know. <laughs> Truck size things. Yeah. yeah fair enough. Yeah. I have no opinion other than RTFM. <laughs> and don't buy the high heat peanut oil. I like the oil from Mex- from like Alberto's. Mm-hmm. It smells good. Mm. Zach writes, fuck Todd. Fuck Todd all the way. Mm. And by the way, fuck Chad too. And I think you're reading a Jay, lot. Jay, if, if you're reading, uh, Jay, if you're listening, fuck you too. Hmm. Hmm. Thanks, Zach. You're reading a lot of subtext into Zach's letter here. Have I mentioned fuck you, Todd? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Came up. <laughs> Zach writes, actually, uh, I'm still loving the show. I've not missed an episode. Keep up the great work. I've asked this question in an email to The Pace, and they haven't responded yet. So I think you guys should compete with them to see who gives the most helpful answer. <laughs> this is a question for you techies. I have the Cena SMH5. I also have an iPod Touch, and I pair it to the Cena for music. I have a simple Samsung phone that I pair for calling and receiving. The problem is they will not pair at the same time. They seem to both be pairing as the same sort of device. Uh, when either connects, the headset says phone connected. Instead of one pairing as the phone, the other is media device. Is there a way to remedy this? I, I actually asked Cena. Oh, cool. Um, they rep- replied, he should have the pairing saved. Our headsets work with a priority system, meaning that a phone call would have priority over music. So while only one device is active at a time, it doesn't sound like this guy actually read the mail. <laughs> no, no, it doesn't. See, here, here's, a, here's the trouble with Bluetooth. One of the things that makes Bluetooth useful, cheap, and secure is Bluetooth's point-to-point thing. Yes. You you don't have, like, party line ever in Bluetooth, and that's one of the ways it can be secure enough, is you're always, I am speaking only with item X. Now, some of them you can have multiple Bluetooth devices set up. Like, I'm thinking of the, um, let me think here. Well, the, the Cena should do that, too, and it has a separate profile for phone, for okay. music. all right. So he's probably not setting up the profile right in the scene, it sounds like. Well, what it sounds is like the iPod is coming across as a phone when it it shouldn't. Yeah. I, I don't know if that's because the iPod Touch, I mean, it's using the it's same basically OS. basically a phone. Yeah, it's using the same OS Without as the phone. the phone. So it's it might be, there might be a setting in the, I wish I had my phone on me. Nerd. There might be a setting under the Bluetooth setting for the phone. So to, he, to tell it to pick the media profile? Well, they mentioned pair the phone using the phone selective pairing and pair the iPod using the media selective pairing. This might be another one of those read the manual and find out what those words mean. Yeah, okay. So they say re- do a factory reset on the headset, clear all the pairings off, and then uh, pair the phone as phone selective, pair mm-hmm. the media, iPod as media selective. Yeah, I'll they, send they go on to mention... Um, no, 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 boring, boring, boring. Oh, and if that doesn't work, what you do is you uh, wash your Cena in warm, soapy water. Um, what you want to do is hold it under the water for either five minutes or until the bubbles stop. Um, that'll depend on the amount of soap you have, of course. <laughs> Not just mail it to you? No, no, no. Clear? Hmm. No. I want I want the listeners to get what they need, so warm, soapy water is the way to go. Are you trying to tell him not to listen to stuff while he's writing? Oh, no, I'm trying to help him fix his problem. Uh-huh. What's his problem? <laughs> his problem is he's trying to talk on his damn phone <laughs> while he's riding, and he's dicking with his Cena going, How come I can't talk about phone? Well, Sally, where did you go? I lost you, but I can still hear Journey, so that's okay. <laughs> Don't stop believing. Sally! Speaking of, you know, the the, the Nuva's 
heads up thing. Mm-hmm. Successfully funded. Nice. They pulled it in right at the last, uh, about the day before the deadline. Mm-hmm. So, Somebody's mom was like, fine, <laughs> I'll pony up. Or maybe it's a sinister government interest who actually wants to use it for, you know, dangerous soldier stuff. So they can make their soldiers look like level four dorks. You've been watching 80s movies again, haven't you? (laughs) We will use virtual reality to make perfect soldiers. The virtual reality will have as many as seven polygons. It's just like real life. (laughs) What have you learned, Todd? (laughs) I've learned that car headlights on front fenders are the way of the future. I've learned that we've got exactly one track day before we're banned from for life from any track in the country. <laughs> Are they all interlinked like that? Oh, I'm sure word will get around. Mm, probably right. <laughs> it's not like we'll be able to be it there in a euro. Yep. And, you know, especially once we lay down that oil slick and light it on fire. Mm. <laughs> and that's all we got time for this week. Until next time, I'm Todd. And I'm Chuck. Ride safe, everyone. We'll see you next week. If you listen to us on iTunes, please write a review for us so that we can get some more exposure and hits. Thanks. If you like this podcast, you can find more like it at wheelnerds.com. This has been a Wheel Nerds production, all rights reserved. Readings from other sources are the property of their respective owners and are used with satirical intent.